Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the Ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Stepping into this final message on the series called When People Meet Jesus, and as we've just heard, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. People are celebrating and they're, they're, uh, they're throwing palm branches down at his feet. They're throwing their own clothes down, their jackets down. And he's riding and they're welcoming Jesus and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying, Hosanna, which Hosanna means this is the one who saves us. And that's what they were doing. And he was riding into Jerusalem. And there's some significant things that I want to pull out of this today. Just four things about when people meet Jesus. These are some principles that we can find from this account of Palm Sunday, of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And the first one is this. Number one, that when people meet Jesus, he uses people that seem unqualified. We have any unqualified people here today? Okay, great. The rest of you, you are lying in church. Shame on you. Jesus uses people that seem unqualified. Jesus sent his disciples, he said this, go and fetch a donkey, a colt. The Bible says in verse 33, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord has need for it. So they sent, Jesus sent the disciples, go and get a donkey. Actually, the uh, what this passage points out is this donkey has never been ridden. What the book of John points out is this, this donkey was not broken. And I haven't had much experience with donkeys, but I have had experiences with mules. True story. And there's something about a stubborn animal. Matter of fact, as we were going through the play um, yesterday, the, the donkey that Jesus rides into, he decided to stop. And so the more they pulled on him, the more he resisted. And so what happened is, if you know Pastor Dennis, Pastor, I, I've never seen, he's walking, Pastor Dennis gets, gets behind this donkey, he puts two hands on those two back cheeks, and he just starts pushing that thing. It was great. The donkey was stubborn, but this, the donkey we, use, we are using is, is a broken donkey. In other words, he's been ridden before. Jesus re requested a donkey that has never been ridden before. How many know that might be a little disaster, a recipe for disaster if you're wanting to make a big show? So I had experience with a mule one time. One time I, got, I, I, got a, I got home from, from school, and what I found out, my dad was riding what our mule, and that mule decided that day he was going to be stubborn. He bucked my dad off. My dad flipped over backwards, broke his collarbone, and so my mom took him to the hospital. And guess what my job was? Go find the runaway mule. So we lived out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, for miles, just, just fields and bluffs and and woods and creeks, and, and, and so I knew the, the donkey ran off this direction. And the donkey just didn't run and stop and turn around and say, sorry about that. It just kept running and running and running. So if I got there, and I, I saw that the donkey was out in the far back corner of the field. And I thought, well, I'll just walk to him and grab him. So as I started to walk to him, he saw me, and he, and he let me get just close enough to give me some hope. And then he ran for another quarter mile. I thought, you stupid donkey. 
Actually, a mule is a mule. So then I, I continued to go, and then finally he kept running so much, I had to go back to the house, get, the, get the, the truck, drive around to try to cut him off before he crossed this road. Well, he crosses the road. He ends up, he, he was probably about two and a half miles away from the house. And so he, he went up on this bluff, and I thought, well, I'll go up there. And so I'm up there walking around the woods all by myself, talking sweetly to this, this mule. Trying to lower my, hey, it's all right, come here, let me, come here, let's get you, come on, come on. Then I start making kissing noises, because that's what you do, because you think, you know, maybe mules need affection or something. Anyway, so I, I was doing that and, and trying to get us, and so right when I got him, just right up to him, I mean, like right here, I'd be like, I got, I'm going to get this. I'd reach out, and he'd take off. And I thought, oh, you stupid mule, stubborn mule. Now, this mule had been broken. This mule had been ridden before. This mule knew who we were. He, had, he was totally familiar with human beings. And I, finally, I couldn't catch the dumb mule. I had, I had a basketball game that night. And, and, uh, and at that time, I thought, man, listen, I, mule, I hope, you run in, I hope you make some friends and run into a pack of coyotes out here because I don't give a rip about you anymore. I'm done. Done with you, mule. So the next day, I get up, and here's my neighbor walking up to the house. With this mule. How'd you catch the mule? He said, I just walked up to him and grabbed him. I thought, yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, really appreciate that. (laughs) But this whole idea of Jesus riding a donkey that has never been ridden before. So think about this. He knows he's going to ride the donkey. People are going to stand around the donkey, waving palm branches, throwing things at the donkey, and shouting, Hosanna! That is not going to turn out well. But Jesus gets on this donkey, and he rides it, and everything is fine. This is actually, this I believe, and this is my own opinion, this is a miracle right up there with walking in water. I really believe that. And this donkey carries Jesus. And so this whole idea that, that Jesus rode an unbroken donkey into town, and, and this whole piece of this is this one, we have to know this, that this donkey was chosen intentionally by God. This donkey was called to be used of God. Jesus could have used a beautiful horse. He could have walked in to, to the, into Jerusalem and riding from Mount of Olives up, up into the gate leading into Jerusalem. He could have walked in and sat on top of it with a muscular horse with a beautiful mane and a shiny coat. And he could have walked as a man of power. But he didn't. He chose a a donkey. Every time I say donkey, I hear Shrek saying donkey in my head. I don't know about you. That's what happens. But he chose to ride a plain, ugly, unbroken, untamed, uncivilized animal. Nobody has ever called the donkey beautiful. Have you ever said, oh, that's such a beautiful donkey. No one ever thinks that. You say it's a beautiful horse. You don't say it's a beautiful donkey. I mean, their ears are floppy. Their eyes are beady. Have you ever heard a donkey um, let out like a, a bray or make a noise? I'm telling you, it sounds like a, a, a cat is dying when this thing. I mean, there's nothing special about a donkey. Jesus could have ridden a horse. He was the God. Of, he, he sat at the right hand of the Father. He was the Son of God. He was fully man and fully, fully God. This, he could have chosen the Ferrari of the day, the Rolls Royce of the day. He could have chosen a stallion to ride in to make his entrance. 
But he chose not a Ferrari, not a Rolls Royce. He chose really a Honda Hatchback Civic. 1983 is what he chose to ride. But Jesus chose his donkey, one, because it, it fulfilled prophecy as well. I think it's important for us to understand what this day represents. About 500 years earlier from this account that we've just read, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about the coming Messiah who would come. And Zechariah says this in Zechariah 9.9. He says, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I love this because I believe that God really did create this donkey for this purpose to carry the Messiah. I also love this because in many, many ways I can identify with that donkey. Please don't agree with me on that, but... In many ways, I can, I can identify. And I bet you can probably identify as well. It's the thought of this, you know what, God, you, you can't use me. I, I'm, just, I'm just a normal individual. I'm just from, I'm not from maybe a Christian home. And I, I don't know the Bible like everyone else does. I, I'm not smart enough. And I didn't go to, I, I, didn't, I didn't finish my degree. I, I'm too broken. I, my past is too much. I, I, have a, I have a divorce in my past. And there's, there's nothing that I can, God, you can't use me. I, and maybe you feel today more like a spiritual donkey than you do like a spiritual racehorse or thoroughbred. And I'd, I'd be willing to say most of us in this room feel that way. That you're below normal. Oh, God, you, you can't really use me. Surely God doesn't need me. Listen, I, I just want to share with you something. If, if you've never starred on a sports team, if you've never made honor roll, or maybe you, you felt marginalized because of your economic status or your ethnicity or your social standing, or maybe nobody knows, really knows your name. So, God, you can't use me. And, and you think the, the chips are stacked against you. Maybe instead of the most likely to succeed in your class, you were the most likely not to succeed in your class. Maybe you've never had your, your, your picture in a paper or been featured in some article. Or your blog has got a good following. Maybe you've got three friends on your Facebook. Congratulations. You are exactly the kind of person God delights in using. You have any, we have any donkeys here in this room today? Good. God delights in using those that most people would look, look over. Matter of fact, God delights in it so much that Paul even wrote about this in Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, God chose the foolish things. I, I can relate with the foolish things comment of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things. I can relate with the weak. The weak things of the world to shame the strong. So that no one may boast before him. God, we, we've heard it all the time. God doesn't qualify. Sorry, God doesn't call the qualified. Well, oh, because you're qualified, because you're so much of, you're, you're, a, you're, you're this and a, and a bag of chips, I'm going to choose you. No, no. He calls people like the donkey that no one would have ever thought. 
He calls people that are unbroken, uncivilized. You don't have the right family history. You, you, you don't have, you, you, no, nobody in your, in your whole family ever did anything significant. He calls those who people would overlook. And he says, I'll use you. That's the one I want. And I believe that God does it for this, because of this last verse so that no one may boast before him. In other words, when God chooses things like a donkey or like you or like me, he is preparing and setting us up for himself to get all the glory that he deserves through our lives. I believe that with all of my heart. For us... You need to understand that it is not man who opens the door for you. It is God who opens the door for you. This whole saying that says this, that, that well, you know, it's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. Yeah, you're right if you, if you live in a world system. But my friend, we don't live in a world system. We live in a kingdom of God system. And so when someone told me that one time, this was not what you know, it's who you know. I thought, well, I don't know anything and I don't know anybody. So I am up the creek without a paddle. And then the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you know me. Am I, not, am, am I not good enough for you to know? This whole idea of you got a network in order to, to fulfill your purpose and your plan, I don't believe that. You just got to get on your knees and fellowship with the God of the universe. He'll make sure you end up where you need to be when you need to be there. I believe it. This, this, these disciples were sent out to get a, to get a, a donkey. And they went to the colt's owner, and he said, listen, the Lord has need of this donkey. Now, obviously, Jesus knew this owner. Obviously, there had been some relationship there. He said, well, then you take it. If he needs it, he, he can have it. It's the same thing, though, is that's being said to you today is this, is that the Lord has need of you. Just like God created this donkey for a special purpose, for a special reason, why he shaped you, why you have the giftings that you let you do, why do you like the things you do, why you lean towards certain things, why do you have passions in this area and not passions in this area, and how, come, how do all these things work together? The reality is this, God has a special purpose for your life, that he's formed you, he's knit you, he, he, he knows everything about you, he made you in your mother's womb, he calls you his own, and when you, when you will surrender to him, and say, God, you can use me. I'm not going to run through the list of why you can't use me. I'm, I'm just going to listen to the one voice that says you need me. And therefore, I'm going to follow you today. When you give up your life, when you give up your reputation, when you give up your finances, when you give up your children to him, to Jesus Christ, that's when you discover his plan and his purpose for your life. It's at that moment. Jesus loves you and he's using the person and here's what I love about it is this. He loves using, actually, the person that everyone else says that God can't use. God doesn't need, God doesn't take a poll and a vote on whether he's going to use you or not use you. He doesn't ask your grandpappy who was a pastor or your grandpappy who's in prison. He doesn't ask your mama. He doesn't ask your dad. He doesn't ask, he doesn't ask anybody. He doesn't ask the, the, anyone else. He looks at you and he says, the Lord needs you. 
and he waits for your response to say, then use me. That's all he's looking for. You know, I, and I believe we've, we've many times, not, not us in particular, but the church as a whole is, man, we've made, we've made the kingdom of God about superstars and superheroes and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and yes, you need to give honor where honor is due. But, but even when you look at a man like Billy Graham, he, God elevated him, and, but he was, the, he was one of the most humble men that you would ever talk to. Everything that, when he had a conversation, he always pointed people to Jesus, never pointed people to himself. He never sat around and name dropped about all the people he hung out with, and oh, you know, last week I was with the president, and I was with this, and I was, you, do, you never heard him say that. All he did was point people to Jesus Christ, and that's what God's looking for. Not people that he can use so he can make them famous, people he can use so that they can make him famous. That's what he's looking for. And when people meet Jesus, he seems to use people that other people would never use. Number two, he separates the fan from the follower. The Bible says this, that as he wrote in the town, he says that the whole crowd began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. They had experienced amazing miracles. They had heard about Jesus. They had known what he's done. They had, they had seen what he had done. And they, they were so excited about this. But during the, the Passover, they, there is a Passover parade that they used to have. And so thousands of pilgrims, and still today, will make their way to Jerusalem. But they would line the road leading down to Mount of Olives to Jerusalem because they knew that the Messiah would ride down this road. And they laid palm branches and they laid their garments on the ground and they laid palm branches on the ground. And they were rolling out the red carpet for someone they thought this could be the Messiah. And this is how they welcomed special people. But I, I don't think Jesus was overwhelmed that day by their joy. I think he, he knew in his own mind, he knew after the parade that they would, they would betray him. He realized that the same fans calling, saying, hail him. Look, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He realized that those same fans saying that would be shouting crucify him just a few days later. Earlier, Jesus made this observation about the Jews. And he, he said this. He said, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you when he wrote this. And he was talking out of Matthew, quoting Isaiah. He said that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, you sing the songs. You do all the right stuff. You, you, you're here honoring me, but your hearts aren't really with me. You're after something else. You're after what you want. You're after what I can do for you. So what changed the short days later? Why would they switch so quick? I'll tell you what it is. There's a context, actually, to this Passover parade. 200 years, actually, before what the, the account that we just read, there was another person who rode that same road. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. His name was Judas Maccabees. He had a nickname called The Hammer. And he had raised a Jewish army, and he had led a successful rebellion to overthrow the Greeks who had possessed the, uh, the temple, and they had desecrated the temple, and they had, it, it, was, it was a horrible situation. But in 163 B.C., he rode into Jerusalem, and guess what he was riding? He rode in on a magnificent stallion, and people lined the streets, 
People were waving palm branches. People were throwing their clothes at, at Judas's feet, Judas Maccabee's feet, the hammer. And guess what they were saying? This is historical truth. They were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But he came in to Jerusalem and he reconsecrated the temple and he drove the Greeks out. And to this day, actually, our Jewish friends celebrate Hanukkah to commemorate this victory. And many of the Jews believe that Judas the hammer was the mighty Messiah. But what happened three, days, or three years later, Judas was killed in battle. He was buried and he died. And you can visit his tomb today in the middle of Israel. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, they were looking for another military Messiah. To deliver them from the iron, the iron fist of the Romans. And then all of a sudden, boy, they're ready. Here comes Jesus. I wonder if it's going to be like Judas Maccabee. I wonder if it's going to be like the hammer. And Jesus comes around the corner. They're waiting for the, for the mighty black horse or white horse and the flowing mane. And Jesus walks around the corner with this little donkey. That was my donkey impression, just so you know. They thought, huh, this is different. He wasn't on a stallion. He was on a donkey. Why? He was showing one he's not coming to be a hammer. He was coming to be a redeemer. He wasn't a physical warrior. He was a spiritual liberator. That's why he was coming. He wasn't a radical revolutionary that kills others for his own cause. But he was a loving redeemer that lays down his life so that others might live. This was, this, this, they could not wrap their heads around this. And I believe the crowd turned against him a few days later because he wasn't what they wanted. My Messiah is not what I want. He didn't do it the way I want him to do it. He didn't, he didn't roll in on how I wanted him to roll in. He didn't take care of things the way I wanted him to take care of things. And in many ways, we still do the same thing today. Things don't work out the way we want them to. Oh, Jesus is coming. Let's just pray and we're just going to believe that God does this. And then it doesn't happen that way. And we're blinded by our immediate wants. We're blinded by, by, by what we think, how God should work it out. Okay, if I pray this, then God will do this. And maybe if I give a little extra in the, in, in the offering plate, then I, can, then I can hold God hostage for my money, and he'll do what I want him to do. We do the same thing. Jesus doesn't do it the way we want him to do it. And we stop short we stop short of our true deliverance. We stop short of really what God wants to do in our lives. We stop short because he doesn't fit within our box that we've created in our own human minds. We can only see right, right whatever is right in front of us, just like the, the people of, of Israel at the time. All they saw was Jesus and we need a Messiah. Rome is, is ruling over us. Come and deliver us. So this was their box. They didn't see God. God doesn't have a box. God is, has a mind that, that, that he sees all things at the same time. And what you think is evil, God is actually going to work it for a greater good for your life. 
And they turned against him. They missed the point. He was on a donkey. He wasn't on a stallion. That's not how our Messiah should be coming into town. We're looking for a general like the hammer. And it came obvious. It became obvious. And in their minds, Jesus failed them. And Jesus has a lot of fans today. He separates the fans from the followers. He has a lot of fans today. They're enthusiastic supporters of Jesus. Fans, they love, they give, and, 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 and. But when Jesus doesn't do it the way they want to do it, they get mad. They get angry. We say things like, God, I asked you to do this, and you didn't do it. And a few days later, we turn. And Jesus is looking not for fans. He's looking for followers who will die to their self. They will live the way that he lived. They will love the way he loved. They will give the way he gave. They will serve the way he served. And in the face of demands from everyone around you to get even when you're wrong, it doesn't matter if it's against Christians or not, you're just going to get even because that's what society says you're to do. If you think you're wrong, then I can drag your name through the dirt just so I can be proved right or somehow get some sympathy and empathy for that. Or we do what we want to do because Jesus didn't do it my way, so therefore I'm going to do it my way. But a follower looks to Jesus to determine their steps. A fan is blown about by emotions, blown about by their needs, blown about by the world, blown about by the, by the political situation, blown about by the society, blown about by, by whatever is going on in the world. They're blown about by all of that. A fan is, is in it for themselves, but a follower of Jesus is in it for the glory of Jesus. And so we're going to behave differently and act differently. And here's the question that, that I think, even I asked myself this week, and this is there are areas of my life that some of this I could say I'm a follower, but some I'm, I'm just a fan. And here's a question to you today. Are you a fan? Are you a fully follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a fan of Jesus because of what he can do for you? And when things don't go your way, when he doesn't answer the prayer that, that you prayed that like a flip of a switch of a light, you immediately doubt God and you put him on trial. You begin to build your case against a loving God. And you begin to tell God why he can't be trusted. I thought you were going to ride into my life and change. I thought you were going to patch that back together. I thought you were going to come through in this finances. I asked you not to take that person, and you did. I asked you to heal me, but you didn't. And all of a sudden, we put God on trial, and we began. We switched from being a fan. We switched from palm branches. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to standing back here and say, I don't know. Just crucify him. Why? Because he didn't do it our way. That's a fan. Or maybe you're a follower. That when circumstances change, when popular opinion changes, when things don't go your way, 
when you don't know why you're going through the, the trial. When the, when the words of David echo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice David didn't say, because you delivered me from the valley of the shadow of death. He says, though I walk smack dab through the middle of death and I can smell it in my nostrils, you are still with me. That no man, I'm not going to put you on trial. In the midst of my pain, I'm going to begin to worship you. God, you are holy and mighty. God, I can trust you. God, I know you work all things together for good for those who love the Lord. Lord, I know that all good things come from you. God, I place my trust in you today. God, I glorify your name. You're my only hope. God, in my brokenness, in my pain, in my divorce, in my bankruptcy, in my, in my emotional troubles, in my addiction. God, I glorify your name. Lord, you are worthy. You are holy. I will only celebrate you, God. Jesus is looking for followers. The third thing that Jesus does is this. When people meet Jesus, when Jesus walks in a room, his religious people get really uncomfortable. There were some fickle fans that were celebrating as Jesus rode in. And then the religious begin to criticize them because in those fickle fans were some committed followers of Jesus. Verse 39 says that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said that Jesus' teacher rebuked them, rebuke your disciples. Now here's the question, rebuke them for what? Worshiping Jesus. They were worshiping Jesus, religious people didn't like it. They were worshiping in a manner that made the religious feel uncomfortable. This is not the way we do it. You can't do it like this. You can't sing that song. I, you can't say, hey, 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 there's too many words in that song. That song's new. I can't worship to new songs. I've never, hey, hey, Pharisee, have you ever heard that song? I haven't heard that song either. I can't believe we'd sing a new song. I don't care if the Bible says sing a, sing a new song unto the Lord. I don't think he meant church. The religious didn't like it because it didn't fit their box either. You know, it doesn't matter what denomination you are. We like to, since we're, since we're part of the denomination of the non-denominationals, <laughs> we like to always bash the denominational people. It doesn't matter what denomination. There are religious people in every denomination, even the non-ones. It's not our way. I can't believe they'd have drums in church. Electric guitars? I think those are from the devil. They want to worship Jesus with instruments that are plugged in. Religious people like it in the box. 
don't get outside my box or I will smack your hand. Here's just a challenge to us. Let's just talk about a drummer. Who gave, you just answer me yes or no, who gave that drummer their gift to drum? That's all, we can be bold. God did. Should the church be a place they could use their giftings? Or should, they, should the world be the one that only gives them a place to use their giftings? Who, who gave the gift of music and musicality to the electric guitar player? Who gave it to him? God did. Shouldn't the place, shouldn't the church be a place where people can use their God-given gifts? Who gave a, a songwriter? Man, I remember talking to a songwriter many years ago. His name is Morris Chapman. I love him. He's such a great songwriter. He's in his 60s now. And he's written all of these amazing songs that are like, they're incredible. And I remember I thought, I'm, I'm going to find out how he writes songs. I said, Morris, how do, you, how do you write so many songs? He said, I've never written a song in a day in my life. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, I'm not a songwriter. I'm a song catcher. Who gives these songs to our songwriters today and to our young people who are wanting to express their love and their passion to God? Who gives them that song? The Holy Spirit does. And so as we have people who are expressing their worship to God and the gifts that God has given them and they're writing songs to bring passion to the hearts of mankind to connect with God the religious sit back and say I don't like that I think that's dangerous because what you're doing is you're criticizing the Holy Spirit that gifted them to use it in the first place I'm just being honest and real with you I was a worship pastor for many many years and I had great support from people in the church, but also had people who were very critical. Critical of everywhere. If one, if they didn't like one word in the song, they just crossed their arms and let out a three-year-old. <laughs> and they couldn't see anything else. And what's, what's that, what, you know what that's called? That's called, they, they miss the plot. They miss the forest, the worship of Jesus because of the one tree that they, as they, if they were to step back a little bit, you could see the beauty of what God was doing. But instead, they got so close to it, they couldn't see anything else. When Jesus begins to pour out a fresh spirit, fresh creativity, Fresh expression of worship. Fresh religious people get upset. i got to move on. I spent too much time on that. Number four, when people meet Jesus, he offers the peace that only he can give us. That's what Jesus does. He offers the peace that only he can give us. And Jesus stopped halfway down Mount of Olives. And we'll walk this road this November and we'll, 
we'll come to the place where Jesus prayed and, and he broke into tears. And in verse 42, he says this, if you, speaking of Jerusalem and Jewish, the Jewish people, he said, even you had only known on this day what would bring peace, but now it's hidden from you. In other words, you have turned your hearts away. You have rejected me. You, it is hidden from your eyes. He was weeping because they had chosen not to accept him. He was not weeping because his father had blinded them. That's a misunderstanding. He was weeping because the Messiah was right in front of them. But they were not looking for the type of salvation he was bringing. They wanted another type. And in the midst of songs of praise, in the midst of songs of shouting, there's this eerie sound on the side of Mount Olives of, a, of the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begins to weep. We have another account where Jesus wept at, at the tomb of Lazarus, and that was, that, that was a term that he did cry. But this word used that he was weeping was a wailing. He was wailing as he looked at Jerusalem. And he recognized that because of the rejection of him, they were going to suffer so much. That there was going to be barriers around them. That their children were going to die. And he said, if only you had received what I had offered you today. Daniel 9 speaks about this, this very same thing. That when the Messiah comes, he's going to weep. He's going to, he's going, his, his hearts are going to be moved. And he's going to talk about the real peace that he could have given them. And it's going to make him weep. And in Luke 13, Jesus says this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often... I want you to just, just take just a moment and listen to these words. Jesus says, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings to protect, to keep, to give safety to. To, to keep from, from everything that, that the outside elements would try to get to you. And then Jesus says, but you were not willing to do that. I don't know, all of us in our lives, there are areas that we need peace. And we're looking for that peace in another area. We're looking for, yes, but Jesus, you got to do it my way. And Jesus is saying, I need to do it the way that can actually give you peace. I need to do it in a way that actually can heal you. I need to do it in a way that actually can protect you. I need to do it in a way that actually meets you. You can gather as a chick does under the wings of a hen. I love the picture that Jesus paints there. It's this place of safety. It's a place of come to me. It's a place of come on. It's a place of, of, of him just raising his arm and us gathering underneath him to the place of safety, to a place of acceptance, to a place of love, to a place of, of stop fighting, 
Stop running. Stop worrying. Stop being ate up with anxiety. Just come here. Let me hold you. And as we get close to him, we begin to abide. The scripture says, under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. That you are protected. You are with him. No matter what you're going through today, the fact is this, that Jesus invites you, come closer to me. Come closer to me. Come on, just, just, just come here. Just come here. And we think, no, no, Jesus, I, I got to work it out. I, I, I have to do it. I, that's, that's what I do. I fix stuff. And so Jesus, just hang tight. I'm going to go try to fix it. I'm going to go try to work it out. I'm going to try, okay, I'll do this. I, I'll work this out. I'll, I'll have this. And then, okay, Jesus, hang on a second. I, and he said, I want you to come to me as a chick gathers under the wings of a hen and I will protect you. Come to me first and let's work this out together. You can't do it alone. You can't. You don't have the wisdom you need. You don't have the discernment you need. You are too broken, too hurting. Come let me heal you so that you can have the peace that you want and need in your life. This is the message of Jesus to you today. It's come to me. Come to me. It's Peter saying to the church that he's writing to, cast all your cares upon him. He's the one who cares for you. Just give it to him. Run to him. Run to him. Run to him. Run to him. That's what he wants. This doesn't require you jump through this hoop and do this and change that. Come to I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I, as Jesus would say, I'm the way, I'm your truth, and I'm your life. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.